0: Hello, I'm Rena Grobe and I'm Madvi Romani and this is Misinformed. A show where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. Serena, so, what did you get obsessed with this week? So this week Germany acknowledged its colonial past, in particular its colonization of Namibia and the genocide that followed. It has acknowledged the genocide for the first time and it is also in the process of working out an agreement with the government of Namibia. Under this deal, the German government agrees to recognize the colonial massacre of the Herero and Nama people as genocide and to offer to pay compensation. So yeah, quite a heavy topic. And this week I've been thinking about Germany, colonialism, and reparations.
1: It is a really heavy topic. I was sitting in the park the other day with a friend who listens to the podcast and she asked, what are we talking about this week? And I said, oh, well, you know, the German genocide in Namibia. And she said, what a weird idea is genocide? Like, you just decide to take out an entire people. And if you really think about it, it's just simply a very mad idea to just want to basically exterminate, wipe out an entire people. So it just got me thinking about genocide a bit. And I looked up the definition, which is an intentional action to destroy a people usually defined as an ethnic, national, racial, or religious group in whole or in part. And as the feeling kind of that we had in the park indicated, the word genocide has come to signify a value judgment as it is widely considered the epitome of human evil. The source for this is Beryl Lang, The Evil in Genocide, Genocide and Human Rights, A Philosophical Guide. So the word was actually coined by Raphael Lemkin in his 1944 book, Axis Rule in Occupied Europe, and it comes from the combination of the Greek word genos, which means a race or people, and the Latin suffix kaido or side, which is the act of killing. But other languages, notably, of course, uh, German, have had words to describe this before. So the German word, which I can't actually pronounce properly, is Fokamot, which just means a murder of people, and there also existed before the word genocide, a word in Polish, for example, too. In 1941, Churchill, when describing the German invasion of the Soviet Union, spoke of a crime without a name so only in 1944 did this word appear after the second world war in
0: english and the holocaust i actually think that a lot of germans don't actually know about what germany did so i'm just going to summarize really quickly it was called the deutsches Kolonialreich. after germany was unified in the 1870s this was during the time period where otto von bismarck was running the show Germany had what is often called a short-lived colonialization period. It was part of what is called in history the scramble for Africa, and Germany was left to, in quotation marks, claim the leftover, uncolonialized areas of Africa. So Germany built the third largest colonial empire at the time, right after the British and the French, and the German colonial empire encompassed parts of several African countries that now include present-day Burundi, Rwanda, Tanzania, Namibia, Cameroon, Gabon, Congo, Central African Republic, Chad, Nigeria, Togo, Ghana, New Guinea, and also numerous other West Pacific Micronesian islands. When Germany lost the First World War, all of its colonies were confiscated under the Treaty of Versailles, and each of the colonies became a mandate of the newly formed League of Nations. It was under their supervision of one of the victorious powers— Officially, the German colonial empire ceased to exist in 1919. There's a heavy emphasis here on officially. There were plans to regain the lost colonies during the Second World War, but we all know how that worked out. Just to sum it up, there were four main German territories. There was the German West Africa from 1896 to 1918, which included Cameroon, Nigeria, Chad, Guinea, Central African Republic, Ghana, and Togo. There was the German Southwest African Territory from 1884 to 1918, which was just Namibia, and then the German New Guinea, including German Samoa from 1884 to 1919, which was Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, Palau, Federal States of Micronesia, Nauru, Northern Marian Islands, Marshall Islands, and Samoa, and German East Africa from 1891 to 1918, which included Burundi, parts of Kenya, parts of Mozambique, Rwanda, and Tanzania. So I just feel like a lot of this is incredibly important to mention because in Germany you're very heavily taught about the Holocaust and the guilt and the shame of the Holocaust, but other atrocities committed by Germany and the ramifications of those atrocities that are still felt today are in no way talked about, and this is probably the first time that it's kind of come to some sort of mainstream attention
1: So, the genocide itself. What happened was thousands of German settlers grabbed land and cattle from local residents. They encountered fiercest resistance from two ethnic groups. One was the Herero, which were traditional cattle herders, and the other were the Nama. And so, in order to deal With this opposition, they got this military commander who had a really fierce reputation and a total evil name. You can tell by his name that he's a psychopath. It's Lothar von Trotha. Yep, come on. That's a true villain name. And he really was. He was very psychopathic, I guess. So he had earned a fierce reputation in Germany's possessions in Asia and East Africa And in Namibia, he led what was known as the Schutztruppe, which is the protection force. And he issued a warning in 1904 that said, Every Herero, with or without rifles, with or without cattle, will be shot. He also said he would no longer take in women or children, but drive them back to their people or have them shot. The following year, he issued a similar warning to the Nama, which is the second ethnic group that was targeted for extermination. So of a population of 100,000, about 80% of all Herero are believed to have died. German soldiers shot Herero, they hung them, drove them into the desert, and sealed off watering holes to stop survivors from from returning. And prisoners were held and died in concentration camps. And actually this is widely believed to also be the precursor to the Holocaust that we had here in Europe. All these concentration camps and things like that, it happened first in Namibia. And about 10,000 people from the Nama ethnic group, which is about half the total population at that time, are also believed to have died. So in contrast, you know, to the Holocaust, it's taken more than 100 years for Germany to even admits that this is a genocide. And like you say, many Germans are kind of aware until now of what happened in the former African colony, and it's apparently recently just entered into the history curriculum of schools. So the reason why this was a hidden history is that after World War One, it lost Namibia to other African colonies. So for example, white rule South Africa, And talk of genocide in this apartheid government was absolute taboo until 1990, when it was the end of the Cold War. We were coming up to the end of apartheid in South Africa, when this topic really came up again. But even Namibia's Liberation Party, that governs to this day, have been very reluctant to bring up the genocide Firstly, because it does rely on a lot of aid from Germany. It's a country with a small economy, which is long dominated by white Africana and the German minority. And also, these two tribes were already a minority, so they're still marginalised. You can kind of see this in the reaction from the tribes themselves to this acknowledgement of the genocide. So a lot of these tribes are rightly annoyed and angered that Steinmeier, he's negotiating directly with the government and not necessarily directly with the communities involved or going to the leaders of the community to apologise personally. They haven't actually apologised yet. They've just admitted that there's a genocide so that first they know what they're apologising for, I guess. So again, if you compare this to how Germany approached the genocide and the reparations with the Jews after World War II, they negotiated with the Jewish Claims Conference founded by representatives of 23 Jewish groups and provided indemnification worth $80 since 1952 to Jews around the globe. In contrast, the Germans have just negotiated with the government The Namibian government, and I think the money is about maybe one billion or so. But even more interestingly, I think it's really not about the money so much. A leader of the Ova Herero traditional authority, Vekui Rukuro, said, Germany's bilateral agreement with Namibia is nothing but a construct of a racist mindset on the part of Germany and neo-colonial subservience on the part of of Namibia so it's very interesting this dialogue that's going on because also they're very very reluctant to use the words reparation when they talk about the money that Germany's now promised over the next 50 years especially in these territories where these minorities what's left of them are existing which is really kind of the poorest land they're gonna invest in education and solar and energy projects but they're basically saying it's a development fund rather than reparations, because the word reparations is problematic. I mean, for the Germans and the Europeans, of course, because... It admits guilt? Yeah, exactly. So Germany rejects the, the word reparations because it would have amounted to acknowledging guilt under the 1948 United Nations Convention on Genocide. And so they're arguing that the convention cannot be applied retroactively to past genocides, And reparations would also have made Germany and other former European colonial powers liable to claims from other former colonies. So it's basically opening up a Pandora's box of reparations, which obviously Europe and Germany just does not want to do, so they're not calling it reparations for legal reasons.
0: There was a protest outside the German embassy in Namibia, in the capital, and they were protesting because they're saying that by calling it Entwicklungshilfe, they're not only failing to acknowledge their colonial past, but it's also failing to acknowledge that the destabilization and the underdevelopment of these countries comes from this colonial time period. So if you call it uh, Entwicklungshilfe, you're able to put yourself on a pedestal and pretend like you're helping when really you kind of caused the problem.
1: There's a great TED talk from Malens Bart Williams, who's from Sierra Leone. And she starts the TED Talk saying, I am from the richest nation on the planet. And it really is. Like, people dig for gold in their back gardens. That's how much gold and diamonds, the biggest diamond ever that I think was formed part of Queen Victoria's crown, was found in Sierra Leone. It's got a lot of natural resources. It's got a lot of beautiful landscape and water and everything. But yet it's reliant on Western aid and stuff. And she says, well, it's really even though she studied economics and everything in some of the top universities in the world, she really struggled to figure out how the richest continent on the planet, which is Africa, which has all these natural resources, whereas Europe doesn't manages to stay poor and reliant on the West, even though the West is actually reliant on Africa for all of these natural resources because it's All the stuff that's that we need to make all of our phones, our laptops, all of our technologies to build all our buildings, everything. She made exactly this point that you're saying is that they destabilized the entire continent, caused a lot of problems, messed everything up. And then they forced Africa to pay a lot of debts that they took from Europe during the colonial periods. That was a forced economic system and things like that. Because they have to keep it like that because strong and healthy Africa would then trade its resources at fair market price and it wouldn't be in this position. So I think there's really something in that. It's still a power position, right? And it's still a PR move. It's an amazing PR move. Also, not to say that this acknowledgement and everything a bad thing it's just very interesting when you look at it in detail and look at all the language that's being used reparations not reparations development aid how they're doing it what the economics are it's way more complicated than it seems i guess
0: i was talking to a very smart human who is from egypt and i asked him what his opinion on reparations were and he said three things he said one he wouldn't want reparations from any colonial powers just to ease their conscience and to make them feel less guilty about what they've done. The second thing he said was a lot of these colonized countries, their governments have been so destabilized that even if you paid them reparations, the money would probably never actually reach the victims. And the third point that he made was that Reparations imply that colonialism is a thing of the past and that it does not still exist today, just in different forms.
1: They're all really good points, and we see all of those points being reflected in this
0: context, too, in different ways. The language that we use as quote-unquote Western countries to speak about Africa is incredibly damaging. I mean, first of all, we always say Africa, like it's one homogenous place, like it's not different people, different cultures, different tribes, different countries. It's just Africa painted all with one paintbrush. And second of all, we have the tendency to refer to it as a developing country or a third world nation, which puts all of the blame on the countries without acknowledging the part that Europe and all these colonial powers played. And then I also always think about this thing that Trevor Noah said, He tells this story in one of his specials about how the first time he came to America, he was sitting in his hotel room, and he turned on the TV. He sees a commercial, and there's a young boy sitting in the dirt, like, looking at the camera really sadly, and, like, a fly lands on him. And he says, oh, my God, where is this? Is this in Michigan? And then the ad is like, give aid to Africa. And he's like, Africa? My Africa? The Africa I just came from? And he talks about how he encountered this again and again, this sort of people representing Africa, one homogenous country, obviously, as this poor thing in dire need of help. And they just take themselves out of the narrative completely. And likewise, you know, on the flip side, also then kind of represented as a victim. Which is not to say that it obviously isn't, but that's sort of like there's there's only that duality, right? Of it's just oh, it's 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 a third world country, it's poor, it's struggling, we need to help and one, you don't acknowledge the part you played And second of all, that ignores the fact that actually it's not a kid just sitting in some dust somewhere. Like, it's a thriving place. That's
1: actually what Malin Spart Williams says in her talk. She says, it's a brilliant PR campaign that you see. You think Africa is a kid literally sitting in the dirt with flies landing on its face. You do not think Sierra Sierra Leone that people dig for gold in their gardens because there's so much gold there. And you do not think of Africa actually being really rich in resources and supporting Europe. You think about it the other way, Europe supporting Africa. And she just refers to it as a PR campaign by all these great people like Oxfam, Save the Children, all of those people who are paying for all of those ads and running that PR company with the donations of
0: people who feel sympathy and want to help as well. And on that note, here are three things you can do this week to be a better person. Thing one, in 1996,
1: Gregory Stanton, the president of Genocide Watch, presented a briefing paper called The Eight Stages of Genocide to the United States Department of State. And I looked at these eight stages, and it's very scary how many of them are actually happening in this society today. Stage one is that people are divided into us and them, And I think this is the stage at which we should be really conscious and try and not think in these terms.
0: And stage three is one group denies the humanity of the other group. Members of it are equated with animals, vermin, insects, or disease. And the preventative measure for this is local and international leaders should condemn the use of hate speech and make it culturally unacceptable. Leaders who incite genocide should be banned from international travel and have their foreign finances frozen. You can really apply this on a personal level. If you hear someone talking like this, or you read this in the newspaper somewhere, you can speak up and speak out and condemn this, not just in your social circles, but on a wider platform. And thing three,
1: like we just pointed out in this podcast, it's always useful to closely examine the narratives and the words being used when a story is told, and to understand the entire context in order to see
0: things with more clarity thank you for listening until next week goodbye if you like this podcast please subscribe and share it with your friends and if you like you can share your internet obsessions with us tweet us at the underscore miss underscore informed or follow us on instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed you can also send us an email at misinformed.podcast at gmail.com You can also listen and subscribe via YouTube.
1: For news about the show or upcoming events and links to all our sources, references and other geeky inspiration, subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link via our Instagram.
0: We are an independent, non-profit podcast. If you would like to show us some love, you can make a one-off donation via our SoundCloud. Or support us on Patreon at patreon.com misinformed. Thank you for listening.
1: Until next time, goodbye.